0: Hey, Dehemian Mason here. Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. Today we're going to discuss an issue that every entrepreneur, solopreneur, business owner has run into. Every innovator, every inventor has run into this brick wall, the, the, people that we try to explain or sell our concept to, and we're going to address how you can get beyond that. Okay, everyone that runs their own business has definitely probably got a little bit more of a creative edge or a little bit more of an innovative uh, mindset than the person that just wants to go and sit in a cubicle and not have to talk to anyone about new ideas. Now, I'm not being arrogant, but let's face it, the person that plods along in their a normal job and I'm not talking about engineers or creative employees I'm talking about your baseline level folks that want to just get by by doing things the exact same way tomorrow that they did them yesterday you are probably not that person you probably had to embrace change or profit from change or create change to get to where you are today so what we need to do to profit it's one thing to say hey i'm a really creative person i want to i want to be out here creating my own thing and i've got such great ideas fantastic but you must sell the idea because great ideas do not sell themselves i read this long long ago from a creative person in one of the books and i can't i wish i could tell you what book it was in but it said a very good quote never worry about your brilliant idea being stolen It's been my experience, and this is not me talking, but the person I'm quoting, I wish I could remember the name. It's been my experience that if you have a great idea, a brilliant idea, you'll have to cram it down people's throats. Now, isn't that dead on true? And you probably have noticed this in your business, that you come up with this new concept. And you're sitting there saying, man, this would work really, really well for a lot of people. And here's, I think, how we're going to take it to the marketplace. And... Bless you, if you ever brought that up in front of a bunch of average people. And they're not bad people. They're our consumers, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives. They just don't think like you and me. So what happens then? Well, that'd never work. I don't know why you gonna try that. You know what, old Roy down the road had an idea like that once, went broke you know the sort of response that you get. So I'm going to tell you what you can do to get beyond that. And we'll give you some other findings here that I've come up with. And I want you to be successful. Obviously, the whole point of this podcast, my book, Do Business Better, my speeches of the same topic are helping you entrepreneurs, businesses, business owners, business people get ahead. And to do that, you're going to have to take your brilliance your new creativity and actually turn it into money. So for you to monetize your innovation, for you to monetize your brilliance, you have to use the familiar to sell the foreign. You hear what I said? Use the familiar, that which the marketplace comprehends already to sell the foreign, which means this brand new thing that they've never seen before, a new twist on something that they've never seen before. And trust you me, 10%, 20% variation from what they've seen before is still brand new. All right. I mean, it's a pretty novel concept to uh, come in with an electric car, let's say. Now, it's not all that different. All we're talking about is the motor changed, but that's still a new concept. And you can talk about efficiencies, and I, I of course, would point that out as well. But I'm saying there still is marketplace rejection because what's the old standard bearer? We do it this way because that's how we've always done it. So, I wrote an article about this, you can find it at the Damien Mason website, that's DamienMason.com, uh, the blog was written in 2018 called, Use the Familiar to Sell the Foreign. In 25 years of running my own enterprise, I have found that communicating one's creative vision is more difficult than teaching Swahili Sign Language. Okay, so you're an idea person, you're a creative type, and I know you've run into this also. And you just got to understand, the problem isn't you. Now, it might be your idea. It might be that your idea is wacko. I mean, it's way out there. Fine, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Because again, what if it's only 20% different than what already exists? Our audience, which means the marketplace, which means our customers, which means all of humanity, the 7.5 billion people on earth, are generally as a vast majority, non-visionaries. They are hardwired to resist change. Change is fearful. Something new, something different, something foreign could be a risk. Remember going back to that caveman brain, that caveman saw something new and different as a threat to he and his, and his woman and his children that lived in the cave. Fear made him very, very defensive. Fear made his testosterone kick in and his adrenaline kick in. Fear caused the humans to run and flee, put up barricades, keep the saber-toothed tiger out of the cave. Fear, in other words, kept humans alive. That's why you and I are sitting here today. So it's a very natural thing. And you're saying, Damon, are you comparing us to cave people? Yes, I am indeed comparing us to cave men and women because we still have the same limitations when it comes to managing change. It's different. It's fearful. It's new. And now, of course, you can say, well, things are changing faster than they ever have. That's a true statement. Yes, there's more change going on in the marketplace, particularly from a technology standpoint than has happened, you know, for a long time of human development. The steam engine replacing the horse was a huge, huge deal. The horseless carriage was a huge deal. Now we're talking about technological innovations. Your phone right now, the one that you might be listening to this podcast on, is smarter in terms of its technological capability than the Apollo program of 45 years ago. Okay, I get all that. So you've got this creative idea and you've got a cave people marketplace. Again, that's everybody. We all resist change to a certain amount. And you've got this brand new shiny innovation. You've got to sell it. And you're saying, What can I do? And I'm telling you, be careful. It's not, it's not normal for folks to embrace new ideas. Remember, peasants in France attacked the first hot air balloon with pitchforks and thought it was the devil. So, what you got to do is you familiarize the foreign with that which the consumer, the recipient, the audience, your customer base, whoever it is you need to proposition this to, you familiarize this foreign idea by giving them what they already know. Okay, so let's think about what you are going into. Now, I'll just take like, for instance, Dyson. I'm a, I've read a few articles. That's the, the guy and his company that, you know, created a fan that does not have blades. Have you seen it? Pretty neat idea. Uh, he's the one who created the vacuum cleaner. That's one of their best known products that actually makes them money. So. Remember, the average vacuum cleaner, and I don't do a lot of the vacuuming, but I've certainly run a vacuum, it goes linear, forward, 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 backward, backward, and doesn't turn very well. So he came up with this idea, what if, what if I could make it so it moves like a, like a ball bearing in all directions? Makes it a hell of a lot easier getting around corners, getting under beds, whatever. But imagine if he had to go to a group of investors to pitch that idea. So there he sits at Shark Tank. And they say, I don't see the need for it. You know, there's already Regina, and there's already Eureka, and there's already Electrolux, and goodness knows there's 20 other brands, and they're selling all the sweepers that, you know, America and the world even needs. Who needs another sweeper? The old question, who needs a better light bulb? And by the way, you've heard me say before, and maybe you haven't, there's all that rubbish, rubbish out there. That 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 nonsensical statement, well, if you want to be successful, just build a better mouse trap and the world will be the path to your door. Bullshit. There are lots of inferior mouse traps still being sold because they are familiar because they are commodities, because they are cheap, because the consumer wants what they already know how to operate. So I don't believe that indeed it does require a better mousetrap. I would say this, if you create a better mousetrap, the best mousetrap in the world, the most amazing, efficient, environmentally eco-friendly produced, Mousetrap to end-all mouse traps, you're still gonna to have to go out and sell it. And you're gonna to attempt to do that through using what is already familiar. So think about the Dyson. What if you just said, Alright, I just want you to imagine, close your eyes here. A bowling ball. It rolls in every direction. Now we usually think of it as going down the lane, but it also curves. That's why those great bowlers, the professional bowlers of the PBA, can arc it in and pick up the pocket and create, create those strikes. So imagine now a bowling ball on the end of what is now your vacuum cleaner. You've got the standard vacuum cleaner. You've already got your Electrolux or your Regina upright and I'm going to make it so that it is more mobile and goes more places and is much less user friendly, easy to operate by making the suction end like a bowling ball. Now I've just taken the vacuum that everybody already knows and I made it more agreeable, understandable, and palatable to the non-visionary mind. You're saying, David, this is all pretty simple stuff, man. It, It is for you, but you are not your customer. You are not your potential investor. You are not your potential buyer. Remember, when you go to sell whatever it is you have to sell, you will have to go to a person, whoever that is, the marketplace, and give a convincing reason why they can buy it. Why would a grocery store stock your item if they don't see it being something the consumer needs. So again, you've got to make it something that they already understand. let talk about Crocs. You don't talk about those rubber shoes that became popular a decade or so ago. Now, I don't even like Crocs, but it doesn't matter. I don't wear such shoes. That's okay. What if I said, all right, the marketplace doesn't understand this. What are they? We've already got sandals. We've already got flip-flops. Uh, we've already got sneakers. Uh, what are these things? Well, they're rubber shoes. They're kind of like a house slipper that's also waterproof. Oh, that makes a little more sense. Very simple thing, we just took what's already familiar and sold the foreign. Here's why you gotta do this. You gotta do this because humans reject change, but also, I pulled up a little research. This is from a, a Harvard Business Review article. There's a guy named Steenberg. He's a professor at the University of Virginia, Darden School of Business. He also has a background at Xerox, that's the reason I'm quoting him, because in general I don't quote a lot of professors because they haven't been in the real world, they don't know what the hell they're doing, and they're overpaid and underworked, but anyway... Steinberg talks about the things he saw at Xerox. Now, Xerox gets used sometimes as a company that had been once extremely innovative and is no longer. Well, I don't know if that's fair, but certainly they were in a commanding situation 20, 30, 40 years ago as a tech company that could have just rolled out so much new stuff because they already had such a commanding market position. And what did they ever do with it? Well, they innovated the mouse Never went anywhere with it. Think about that. The mouse, which became popular in the 80s through Apple, was already created by Xerox, but they couldn't do anything with it. So what happens? And so Steinberg's examples and research says that while companies actually do come up with innovations, it's the commercializing part that's hard. And that's one of the discussions that he has in this article that I'm reading here. And then I found it interesting as a former salesperson, that uh, the idea is I have a great product and it's hard to sell. Or is it that I'm developing products that can't be sold? You know, there's an old statement as a salesperson that I've uh, always stuck with. Is, is your company making what you can sell? Or are you selling what you can make? Now, that's a tough thing because you look at the marketplace and as an innovator, you're saying, I believe this will sell because I believe there's a need for it. But certainly, if you want to go with what will easily sell, you just go out and knock off the imitation, uh, the, the competition and imitate it and make it about 5% cheaper. Then you just get into a price war. And then what you've done is done what every other, other commodity mindset company does. You just are selling a commodity and trying to be cheaper. And then to make money, you just have to make more of them in a more efficient manner. So the old question of make what you can sell versus selling what you can make is a bit of a challenge here. You know, sales forces, if you're the innovator of the company and you have three sales people and you say, I've got this great, bold idea, let's go out and sell it. They don't think like you. Remember, sales people get compensated generally on at some level on bonuses and commissions. They want what is easy to sell. They're not great at painting visions and painting, and painting pictures. So it's your job as the business person to do that. You must make this so sale proof that the average blockhead with not an ounce of creativity can buy or sell it because they understand it. And you do that again by taking the familiar to sell the foreign. You paint a picture using things and ideas and pictures they've already seen because these non-visionaries need to see your picture and they can only see that through visions they already have in their head. I'll give you a couple examples here. One idea would be, let's say Uber. And I talk about this in my article that I wrote. And again, you can find that at DamienMason.com, Using the Familiar to Sell the Foreign... Think about Uber. It's been around for about five years. So imagine a guy approaches you. Let's say you've got a hundred million dollars, and you have now decided you're going to be an investor. You're going to be an angel investor, a venture capitalist. let's say you just solicit, you put it out there, and people come and solicit you for money you're going to put into their enterprise. So let's say the door opens to your office one day, and a, a guy or gal come in, and she says, "We've got this brilliant idea. Uh, we're going to take, we're going to take a, 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 this." Brand new idea we have. We're gonna take it so that the average person just who owns a car can basically turn into transportation for all these folks out here walking around that need a ride. And all you do is just, you go on your cell phone and you have this app and uh, turns out that then someone just pulls in your driveway, picks you up or grabs you along the street. Now as a venture capitalist with your $100 million, you might say, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. Wait a minute here, kid. What's this now? Foreign, foreign ideas all over the place. You've got some person of the car and some person on the street and then they use a what? An app. And then what happens from there? Well, they pull up and so a, one stranger gets in another stranger's car and they go off happily ever after. Who pays for this? How does the transaction happen? Where do they end up? Where is this even orchestrated? What, is there some sort of a website they go to? I don't understand. So instead, you say, uh, Hello, dear investor. I would like you to be an investor in my company. I'm going to call it Uber, Lyft, or for this argument and this example, let's just call it XYZ. Do you remember the ride board in college? Students who are seeking transportation home for the holidays might write their name, their number, and their destination. Hi, I'm Damien. I'd like to get to Huntington, Indiana uh, on December 19th. I can leave anytime after 3 p.m. And I'd sticker it up there with sort of the eastbound, uh, the eastbound category. And then someone who lived in, let's say, Cleveland would say, well, that wouldn't be bad. I got to go six hours. After two hours, i drop his ass off and I can get some money at least to get that far. So if he annoys me, I'm not going to be that bothered. And then the guy going to Cleveland would then call me and say, yeah, Damien, I can take you as far as Huntington and I'd like you to give me uh, $20. Now that's how the ride board worked. Those that were looking for gas money, Perused the ride board to find people that were heading their way. They came together. There's a bulletin board with posting notes on it, or postcards in that day, because I'm not even sure we had posty notes back then. I think we did, though. So now imagine the job board, very similar to a ride board. It's for people who are looking for flexible employment. You know, maybe you walk out of the diner and there's a board there that says, Need your house cleaned, need your trees trimmed, uh, whatever. You grab the board and you grab something off there and you find a fit. So now if this company says, is a ride board meets the job board, and we're going to use cell phone, that wonderful piece of technology you have in your phone in your pocket right now, and we're going to have it so that all they do is push a little button on, our, on your cell phone, and it coordinates where you are using GPS to where a driver is who's driving around, who wants to make a little flexible income at that very moment, and now you understand how Uber could have been taken from a very foreign concept, a very frightening and foreign concept to a familiar concept because maybe the ride board and the job board was very understandable. And then you say it's gonna be more cheap, it's gonna be more convenient, it puts a lot more potential drivers in in, in touch with uh, folks that need rides, and also it offers flexible employment in an era that has now become more accepting of flexible employment. I'll give you the last examples so that you understand the, the importance of this because you see the confused mind does not buy. That's one thing you must understand. Consumers are humans. Humans reject things that are foreign or things that they do not understand. Also, there's a certain amount of fear. Let's say you work in a large corporation and you've got an entrepreneurial spirit, and there you go to the boardroom every month and you give your brand new idea of what innovation, what new concept, what new things the company should try. And here's what you're up against: you're up against fear, you're up against judgment. You're up against people you compete against who think you make them look bad. And also you are up against people who play defense. Remember, Polaroid rejected all kinds of new ideas because Polaroid's board thought, why would we do that? All it'll do is it'll cannibalize our existing sales of these handy-dandy things that uh, we already have called these instant photos. So they rejected all sorts of new innovations and ideas and concepts and selling new and different things because they decided that would never go away and anything they tried would just steal its own market share. Where are they today? So as an innovative person, here's what you do. You understand the confused mind doesn't buy, you understand most people play defense, you understand that absolutely you've got to use memories and visions and pictures that are already in the recipient's brain. The customer, the marketplace, or that person that is gonna buy or invest in you needs to be able to see your vision in their mind with pictures they already have. Give you an example. When I started, I was a budding political comedian. My business in the old days was I would dress up as Bill Clinton and I would put on a political comedy show. That's how I started out, 1993. Dress up as Bill Clinton, fat padding, makeup, a little bit of hair, to hair paint, gray hair. And I made myself look like Bill Clinton and I delivered political comedy like Bill Clinton. But the thing is folks didn't get it. I wanted to do corporate events. I'd done the open mic nights. I'd done the comedy clubs. I had come from being a hundred dollar act. And there I am, I'm busting out. And I've got a 20 minute act and i I've got a 30 minute show and I'm ready to go and do a corporate meeting or an association meeting. You need entertainment for your 300 salespeople that are going to be here in Kansas city. And you need me. Well, kid, I'm not sure I understand. I understand this Bill Clinton thing. Half our people are Republicans. No, 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 you don't get it. It's a, it's a comedy show. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not sure I, I want to pay the premium. We can get a comedian for half your price. Then it dawned on me use the familiar to sell the foreign and frightening. And I came up with this. Here's what you need to think about. You think about Saturday Night Live. You've seen Saturday Night Live, right? Imagine Saturday Night Live meets stand-up comedy in a show delivered by Bill Clinton. Did you hear what I just said? Saturday Night Live meets stand-up comedy that's personalized to your audience and your corporation with jokes about Harry, your CEO, and, and, and Cindy, your, your CFO. And it's all delivered in the persona of a guy who sounds just like this, Bill Clinton. I reference, a TV show that had been on air since 1975, an art form that's been around since uh, you know centuries and the President of the United States painted a picture that the people that were booking me or booking entertainment could understand and also made it about them that it would be personalized to them and it would make you look very good. You see how you do that? You use the familiar to sell the foreign using pictures and images that they already know, items that they already understand and have consumed and then make it about them. Saying Damien, I'm not sure this is all that complex. This is kind of simple, really, and that's exactly right. Simplifying things is the best way to get to success, because success ultimately is pretty simple. Once you know these simple little tricks. I'm Damien Mason, this is the Do Business Better Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Never forget, you want to be successful, use the familiar to sell the form. Till next time.